This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. All right, we need to reset things here. First of all, Seahawks roster. Alden Smith has been released. That is according to news about Mike Garofalo from the NFL Network. We don't have any official confirmation of that from the Seahawks or anything other than that report, but Garofalo is a pretty reliable news provider. We don't know why. It would seem from the outside not to be a football performance-related issue. He seemed to get a lot of reps in practice yeah. and figured pretty prominently in, in, Sunday's, in Sunday's game. Alden Smith was signed in the offseason. There was an outstanding legal case in Louisiana where he was facing an assault charge. We don't know if this is related to that or if something else happened. But I think it's safe to say, Paul, that this doesn't appear to be a football-related decision. 100% agree with you. I bet the Seahawks got some information on something. Odds are it probably is on that case that we have seen earlier this offseason. But it could be something else entirely. You weren't expecting a whole lot of Alden Smith this year. I will say he did surprise people. Surprised me with the amount of t- that the Seahawks were just using him. And with the players he was playing with on the field, too. You were seeing him not as some sort of afterthought being thrown in with the second team or third team. I mean, you were seeing him get some serious reps with what looked to be the first-team defense. It's a bummer. It's not, it's, it, it's not something that I would consider a setback, right, if, if that makes sense. It's a bummer because I think he was someone that could have contributed, but... Alden Smith is someone who has been out of the league for extended periods of time. Yep. And if you were counting on him to be a part of your, your pass rush, you were, you're really flying in the face of, of the fact that his availability was going to be a, a question mark, that y- you had to look at him if he plays great. If not, hey, we gave it a shot and it was worth taking a chance. Exactly. This is someone that you are doing nothing more than taking a flyer on. It just, I think, was someone that, you felt maybe you were taking more than a flyer on the more and more that you saw him on the field. No other news. The Mariners, who last night God. played the Texas Rangers, we put them in timeout. Are, yeah. are they are they staying in there? That was a disgrace of a loss last night. Yeah, they're in timeout. You don't lose to a team that's lost 14 straight on the road where that team's giving you every single opportunity to win. I'm getting mad just talking about it again. I felt like I got up on the wrong side of the bed. I blame the Mariners entirely for that three-and-a-half-hour display of zero offense. Did you have a timeout room when you were a kid? I had a like stool. Where you we had a, a stool. It was a stool down the hallway, and you had to sit on the stool, and you had to sit in timeout for every single minute, uh, one minute per age of, uh, <laughs> per your age. So, oh, really? Yeah. So if you were six, you got six minutes of timeout. When you were seven, yep. you got seven minutes of timeout? Yeah. Have you ever gotten 31 minutes of timeout? No, but I can imagine that the time added up when I was younger in that I may have had an eight-minute and then an eight-minute. And sometimes you had to put soap on your mouth when you you did it. Oh, really? Yeah. Ooh. I don't know if that ever happened to me, but I had a pretty foul-mouthed father since he was a logger. Mm -hmm. So maybe I got spared from that. My aunt and uncle, uh, Uncle Rob and Aunt Meg, had a timeout bathroom, which I always thought was weird. Like, why did you get sent to the timeout bathroom? And then that became kind of funny when I was older, and one coworker that I had uh, decided that the bathroom was the only place he got peace and quiet as a father. <laughs> so that became his own. I don't want to tell you who it is because Dave Wyman would be embarrassed if I revealed his that. Fortress of Solitude. 
Yes, that's correct. That was where he that was where he found peace and quiet. So I was like, maybe Uncle Rob and Aunt Meg were onto something. The Mariners are still in timeout. They lost five four in extra innings. And then we have news from the Seattle Times, followed by ESPN.com. Let's see if we can make sense of this. In the first one, the Seattle Times reports that there's been no exchanges between Jamal Adams and the Seahawks. There's been essentially radio silence for several days and that they've reached an impasse. That is followed several hours later by a report from ESPN.com saying, well, they haven't talked, but the last thing that was communicated was the Seahawks made an offer to Jamal Adams and they're waiting to hear back from him. Basically saying, it's not the Seahawks that stopped talking here. They, they made an offer and they're waiting to hear back whether or not Jamal, Ander- Jamal Adams' side uh, accepts that offer. It sounds like, though, that if they're still waiting to hear back, that Jamal Adams, they're likely not going to accept said offer. And then the <laughs> cycle continues. You feel like you're the person waiting for the, I left the message, maybe she'll call back. Right. It's like, no, dude, no, no. Like, if she wanted to call back, she would have. This is you leaving the text, and you're too scared to send the second text after the fact, because that's how it works these days, Danny, because no one calls anymore. But you are frowned upon. It is frowned upon to send multiple texts without getting a response. You have to, you know, go back and forth, back and forth. That volley has not come back for the Seahawks yet. And, yeah, I think you just continue to wait this out if you're Seattle. If you feel like you put a good offer on the table, Jamal, okay, come back. There's still a month left before the start of the season. Come back with something that you think is better and we can continue to talk. There's plenty of time left. I think anyone that's stressing out over this needs to chill. There is so much time left to get this thing done. And if it doesn't get done, guess what? Jamal Adams, I don't think he's going to sit out games. This is a guy who has not earned a ton of money to this point in his career. Do you really think wow. he's going to sit no, away? He's, he's, worked, he's earned a significant—I mean, he was the number six overall pick. It's not a second or a third round pick. Like he's, Do you his think career, he wants to miss game checks, though? And, I don't. I don't think he does. And this is definitely the highest salary that he's ever had. I, I think it's possible that he'll decide— to not take the extension offer and play out the final year of his deal. But that is one of those. I'm slightly nervous. Like, I'll I'll raise my hand and say that I don't know which direction this is going. And then you throw in and you add to it the uncertainty over Dwayne Browns. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. Why shouldn't I be nervous? Because there's plenty of time. There's a month. The season doesn't start until September 12th against the Indianapolis Colts. There's a couple of games to be played between here and now. The Seahawks could find themselves in a situation where due to injuries, maybe all of a sudden they think that they have to give a bigger offer to Jamal Adams. If there's less depth at the position or something like that, there are so many things that can change right now. And I feel like a story that's put out there about an impasse between both sides, that is essentially fear-mongering and an attempt by generally agents to create a little external pressure to make it seem like the sky is falling. It's not falling. You know, it's not falling until he does not show up for a game, and I just have a hard time buying into the idea of Jamal Adams, not Dwayne Brown, Jamal Adams not showing up for week one. I feel like he's going to be there, and worst-case scenario, at the end of this year, the Seahawks, maybe a contract isn't reached, they get to a franchise tag, and then, okay, then, next offseason, then maybe it gets a little more dicey if things are going back and forth between the two parties. Here's my fear, and here's why I'm nervous. There's nothing in Seattle's history that tells me they're going to increase the offers that are currently, that they're going to adjust. And what you said of like they decide they need to give a little bit more to get get a player signed. That doesn't mean it won't happen, but that's not been Seattle's history. Seattle, typically when it gets to this sort of position and you're at training camp, they're like, that's it. That's the best offer and you're going to have to decide whether or not you, you want it. And if that's the case and neither of those guys is practicing – 
what's standing between them and missing games. We're basically sitting there asking and wondering when they're going to cave. That's a dangerous position to be in, or it's at least an, a, a vulnerable. And it's not saying that, hey, I think Seattle should do something differently. It's saying that, okay, I thought this negotiation could be tricky. I thought it could get uncomfortable. And now we're at that part where it's uncomfortable and you're basically asking, how mad is the player? How adamant is the player about sticking to this? With Jamal Adams, there's at least a path where he gets he's, he doesn't accept the deal but still plays. I'm not sure if that's the case with Dwayne Brown. I'm not sure if Dwayne Brown, if he's, if he's staring at the possibility that they have not offered him an extension or an extension that he wants, that he decides he's going to play it out and become a free agent, as opposed to just saying, okay, I'm, I'm not going to play to start the season. If you don't give me what I want, I'm going to miss time. I think with Brown, there's the possibility of both, where, yeah, he doesn't show up for half the season, and then he's saying, yep, I'm, I'm totally fine saying toodaloo at the end of the year. And that is concerning because yeah, I think you need Dwayne Brown for a season where you're going to play one extra game and Russell Wilson gets sacked 40 times a year, it makes sense to have your best offensive lineman. Mild sense. You know, nothing more than that. So, Brown, I am mildly concerned about because I feel like there's not going to be much more progress made. But I feel like there's so much room. I mean, do you think the Seahawks are lowballing Jamal Adams or something like that? They might be offering him less than what he wants, but the idea of lowballing him or sending a disrespectful offer... I imagine that they are offering something that would make him the highest paid safety in the NFL because that's generally how these things work. That's how contracts work. The next one is bigger than the last one. You know, then they slowly increase the top number for a player at their respective position and the next contract is more, et cetera, et cetera. I I doubt the Seahawks are saying, oh, yeah, we're going to offer you two years and $15 $15 million or something like that. Like what Quandre takes is essentially making at his safety position, which is something that, by the way, he's also looking for a better deal with. From the 253, this is the Mac and Jack's text line. You know what makes me nervous? My septic system backing up for no reason. Mm. So apparently the contract negotiations with these two, two players are not something that makes this particular, that, 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 is not able to make this particularly uh, <laughs> to, to, to nervous for that particular viewer. It's it's hard to negotiate when you're negotiating against yourself, and that's one of the realities that makes this difficult. Is that because Jamal Adams hasn't been a free agent, he's not negotiate. Seattle is essentially telling him, "We're going to make you the highest paid safety." And he's like, but I'm more than that much better than the next guy. And that's a tough place. That can be a difficult place to negotiate in because for the Seahawks, they feel like, okay, we've met the benchmark. And the player's like, yeah, but my value is different. Like that's that's where real impasses can occur. It's when a team either throws out a contract, like someone saying, okay, we're not going to consider, was it DeAndre Hopkins, that they weren't going to consider – uh, the the DeAndre Hopkins contract when it came to to a I think different Devonte Adams, Devonte Adams. They weren't going to consider Hopkins' contract, and you're like, okay, the Packers. If you're if you're the player, you're like, how can you not consider someone? Or if it's like, hey, I'm the best at this, and I'm more than, um, I'm. It's more than just making me the highest paid player at this position. You have to look to other positions. It it can make it tricky, and I've always worried about that with Jamal's. I, I think, I think ultimately where this heads is that Jamal will look at, on the one hand, all of the bonus money that's piled up that he would be leaving on the table to then risk playing and risk the impact of injury. And safeties and running backs are guys that don't typically tend to do that. 
But waiting for a player to cave is an uncomfortable spot to be in. Waiting for someone to cave is very, very difficult to go from. What if that player's been playing for a garbage organization the majority of his career and perhaps now has an opportunity to win with a full offseason to get ramped up to, for playing with said team that he hasn't had in years past? I, I Why feel, isn't he practicing now then? What's going to change between now and when he accepts the contract? I guess that's what I'm saying. If Seattle's offer isn't going to get any better, what's going to change between now and when he accepts the contract? Is it putting an expiration date on the offer? Is it putting a, a cross or do not go here? Because all of those things that you said, they're true right now, and he's not practicing. Could be a matter of he's out at camp, and he's seeing the things that are happening out there, and he wants to get back out on the field. I mean, sometimes the game could draw you back in and maybe against your own best interests. I, I wonder about that side of things. He does look engaged out there. He does not look unhappy, at least based off of the body language that I'm reading. I don't know if I, how much I can really read into body language at training camp or something like that. But, I mean, there was an interception that Shari Crosswell had yesterday, and a lot not too long afterwards. You saw Jamal Adams come up to him and talking to him like a Jedi master talking to a young Padawan. It looks like he is engaged on the situation and he's not checked out or angry or mad about this current spot. There's still plenty of time. I feel like maybe there won't be a different offer made, but I think opinions can definitely change over the course of a month. I suppose, though, that you are right in that what is going to change said opinion between then and now there aren't a real whole lot of options other than a desire to get back on the field. Is he leaving the texts on red? Is that what Jamal is doing right now? Somebody texted that <laughs> in. That, that, that Jamal Adams just leaving the texts on yes, red. Yes, yes. Uh, that's, never, that's never fun. You only decide to leave texts on red with a specific person if you're trying to send a message. And I've never done that because I feel like it's very passive aggressive. It's Danny and Gallant. It's time for us to go around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. What's up, Mora? Mora! What do we got? I never leave you guys on red. I appreciate that. I'd be very sad. (laughs) Can I ask a question? How do I know if if my phone is set to do that? Like, Can people see if I'm not reading their texts? No. Well, okay. you, there's a setting where they can see if you have read their text. You have to go to, I believe, info when you are in a uh, iPhone conversation. And I feel like there is a certain spot where you can decide, yeah, for this specific contact, I want to show that I have my text read versus other ones. I'm looking to see how to do it right now. <laughs> who should I do? Who should I leave texts on read with? Well, do it for me so I can tell whether or not I, c- I understand what it looks like. This is great radio as we go to our cell phones. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, in the meantime, Pete Carroll gave an update on the banged-up offensive line yesterday uh, heading into Saturday's preseason game against the Raiders. They won't make it this week. Um, Cedric's got a, got a little muscle thing that, that it's going to take a couple weeks probably. Um, and then uh, Postick, we're really like – couple days to days you know it's not not one day but it's a couple days away maybe and and uh we're looking for him to come back he won't make it by the weekend though no ethan posick is concerning i saw an interesting tweet from greg bell yesterday and he i guess is of the belief that ethan posick might not be the starting center going into this year that it Mm -hmm. could be kyle fuller i found that quite surprising but based off of Posick's lack of availability and his struggles at the end of last year, 
it's not the most far-fetched thing in the world, the idea that maybe someone other than Ethan Posick is the Seahawks center to begin the year. I could see how that would work, right? Like yeah. if he's not, and they said they need to be careful with it. How big a drop off is it between Posick and Fuller? I don't know. I really don't at this point in time. Posick is the weak link on your offensive line. Would, would you not agree? I mean, Damian Lewis has upside. Gabe Jackson at right guard, you feel good about. Dwayne Brown has left tackle, assuming he comes into the fold. You know what he is. Brandon Shell, when healthy, was pretty good for you last year. Ethan Posick seems like he was the one that was having the most issues against Aaron Donald and the likes. And you brought him back at a pretty reasonable rate. You see it? I'm not worried about the offensive line availability yet. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sweating it until we find out whether or not Dwayne Brown's really serious about missing time. Colts head coach Frank Reich told Colin Cowherd he is not ruling out quarterback Carson Wentz playing week one against the Seahawks. Wentz had foot surgery last Monday and was initially projected a five to 12 week recovery time. Could the Colts be playing poker here? All of a sudden today, we've gotten all of these reports about how well Carson Wentz looks. He's not in a boot. He's planning to play. Well, yeah, the day before you're talking about how they're splitting Snaps right. between Sam Ellinger and Jacob Eason. Yeah, they're trying to throw as much fog of war as they possibly can before the start of the year. There's a pretty good chance from the sound of things that Wentz is indeed under center for Indianapolis the first week of the year along with Quentin Nelson. And if that is the case, I do knew, I do think that it is no longer an automatic win for the Seahawks the way it would be with either um, Eason or Ellinger under center. I give you a choice. Carson Wentz having no training camp and coming off of a foot surgery. He hasn't played a lick in the preseason. He starts. Or you get the guy who wins the quarterback competition between Jacob Eason and Sam Ellinger, who at least you'll know is game ready. The guy who wins. Give me the guy who wins. Oh, yeah. Give me Ellinger or Eason. I'm not expecting anything out of those guys this year. I mean, these guys, you know, comparatively talent-wise, with a guy like Carson Wentz, there's always the chance that he could have a ridiculous game, especially when you're playing in Lucas Oil Field, which is you know, an indoor stadium. I think it makes it a little bit easier for those quarterbacks. Alright, this is becoming a, um, a theme in around the NFL. I have another Mike Tannenbaum cut for you guys. Oh, Tannenbaum. Tannenbaum. Oh, Tannenbaum. He used to be a GM in the NFL. How terrible are they? Um, let's Shockingly. About, yeah, well, let's see what you think about this proposal from him on Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin today. He thinks that the Broncos should offer a first-rounder for Garoppolo. I think I would, because when you look at that defense, it's really good. They have pressure players, obviously, assuming that you know, Von Miller comes back and Jimmy G, you know, there's so much been said about him, but he is a winning quarterback, 24 and eight as a star with San Francisco. And he is so much better than Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. Now, look, he's on the conversation with Justin Herbert and certainly not Patrick Mahomes, but it puts him into the conversation of Denver could be a playoff team this year with Jimmy G. So I agree with Key. This is a good idea. I do think Garoppolo is better than Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater by sure. a pretty significant gap, but first round I, I'm pick not worthy. Sh- but is he I'm your not sure how significant. You would. He thinks. He thinks that Denver should give up more for Jimmy Garoppolo than San Francisco gave up for him when Jimmy G was cheap. He thinks they should give up more in draft pick capital because it was a second round pick that San Francisco gave up. Right. Yes. 
for expensive Jimmy G, who's making more than $20 million a year, than what San Francisco gave up for Jimmy G when people still thought Jimmy G might be a franchise quarterback. That's insane. Like that, that, that's the kind of guy that you seek out, and I want to trade with that person every time. That is, that is mind-numbingly dumb. Why, why in the what justification would you have for paying more for Jimmy G now than San Francisco paid gave up to get him? You, you're giving up more for the right to pay him more. That makes no sense at all. You definitely don't start off with a first round offer when you're you start out with a fourth rounder. Yeah. Good lord, that's dumb. That's so it's dumb in like three different ways. We know that Jimmy G is not as good as San Francisco thought he might be. We know that definitively. Whatever you think of him, Jimmy G's national profile, what he projects as as a player is lower now than when San Francisco traded for him. He also makes more money now than when San Francisco traded for him. And you're saying you should give up a higher pick to get him than San Francisco gave him. That is dumb. How's that guy a GM ever? Like, I generally think that those people are pretty smart. Like, that dude's an idiot. He has all sorts of hot takes. I do think that the Broncos would be significantly better with Jimmy Garoppolo. And actually, I do like the idea. I mean, I think Drew Of Locke, giving a first-round pick No, up? not a first-round pick. Not the first-round pick. The idea of, of, of making a move to bring in Jimmy Garoppolo if you're Denver, because you're not doing anything with either of these two quarterbacks. And it feels like going into this year, I think it was George Patton who said, we felt like we needed to give Drew Locke a chance. What? And then you traded for Teddy Bridgewater, so that's bogus. I don't know how much better Jimmy G is than those two guys. I think he's significantly better. I don't think either of those guys are good. I don't think Jimmy G's particularly good. I think he's at the very least above average. And he's making like three times as much as either of those guys. The salary is ridiculous. You're right. But, I mean, if you're talking about win now, those two give you no chance to win. It is a quarterback competition between those two, and neither of those two are good. Jimmy G had the San Francisco run game where they can plug in whoever yeah. to help him, though. Like, Denver's been struggling with Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. It's, yeah. He, they, want, they went to the Super Bowl in a game he threw eight passes. And they lost the Super Bowl when he threw an interception with his eyes closed. I, yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get that. I don't get that at all. He's better than those two. It is Danny and Gallant. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We're going to have an over-under game here. Uh, we talked about leaving things on, on red. I don't answer text messages on my phone. No, you don't. How many do you? How many unanswered text messages do you think I currently have on my phone? You can submit your guesses oh, on the Mac and Jack's know. test line. This we'll hear what Paul me. and Mora have to say next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. All right, let's get some guesses. How many unread texts do I have on my phone? Oh, boy, this is giving me anxiety just thinking about it. I'm going to 228. Oh. Low. 321. I'm- low. 86, low. 13 total texts, low. 491. Low. What? Whoa. What is wrong with you? Low. What is wrong with you? Mora? No, if it was emails, I'm, I'm bad too. Um, I'm going to go 548. Low. Whoa. It was 701 at the break. It went to 702 because I got a text from Paul Moyer saying he just wanted to add to my number of unread texts. (laughs) Love it. In fairness, 
Most of those have been read by me. I read them when I came when they came through. I just didn't click on them. Ah, okay. So you see them cross? I think so. Some of them I don't. Phone. My text. You see text that's clickbait. My yeah, generally. I generally feel like <laughs> okay that I I get a lot of texts that I don't feel I need to respond to. My texts are set up in a way where I actually have to open it to read it because that way I can't have anybody snooping through what is going across the home screen of my phone when it is not unlocked that is a paranoid side of me but i rarely have more than five emails unread and i rarely have more than three text messages unread unless i mute the line which i've done with a certain line of ours we have some news from the seattle seahawks Uh, i have forty eight thousand eight hundred and fifty unread emails right now what is wrong with you forty eight thousand yeah, how, people send me too much email. How does your I'm inbox? How does your inbox even fit all that stuff in there? I have no idea. I'm waiting for it to to delete itself and reset itself. Uh, the Seahawks. We have some news this morning from Alden Smith has been released by the Seattle Seahawks. That was first reported by Mike Garofalo. Uh, it was followed up. Brady Henderson of ESPN.com has reported that as well, and he made. The, the comment I kind of think that we've been saying this morning, which is that this doesn't appear to be about a football decision because he had been active and in shape and, in fact, uh, participated a lot in the mock game that they had on Sunday. So this looks like uh, a decision that was made, whether it relates to the assault charge that he was facing in Louisiana or if something else happened, it looks like this wasn't about his football contribution or football shape. No, this seems like it is something off the field. He was out there contributing with the defensive units that you thought could be the starting units going into the year. And at training camp, the Seahawks are doing a bunch of mixing and matching. But he was out there a lot. And you saw him out there with the right linebackers and the right defensive linemen. So I imagine the Seahawks are pretty disappointed with this news. I think they thought that they actually might be able to rely on him, at least from a football perspective, though I bet they had their doubts once that news in New Orleans popped up this offseason. Was this a mistake? And I, and I ask that because there's going to be a lot of people that say they went and relied on the wrong guy. I don't think it's a mistake, and here's why. They didn't pay him significant money. This is, this is about one of 90 roster spots, and they were giving him a little more than a million dollars a year for an opportunity at making the team. I think that's a reasonable a, a reasonable chance to take that you're not hamstringing yourself into committing to even him making the team, and that if you look at this as they gave uh, an opportunity to a guy who has been a top tier pass rusher in this league before, who has appeared to get his life back on track after substance abuse issues derailed it, I, I don't have any problem with them taking taking a chance on it, and then. If it doesn't work out, saying, okay, sorry, but no. We, we had some guidelines for how you would have to, the, the off-field behaviors and commitments that we would expect from you to be on the football team, you broke those and there's just not much latitude here. You knew the deal coming in. I, I, don't, I don't think that's a mistake. I, I, and I, I have a hard time seeing how someone looks at and says that of the 37 guys on this field that aren't going to make the roster, how he's not worth one of those spots to potentially show that. I mean, he he played in the NFL last year and had five sacks. Now, granted, three of them, I think, came against you. <laughs> but still, I, I just I don't see the downside of this, even though it didn't work out. It's one of many roster bodies. It doesn't seem like you invested a whole lot of money into it. There were certainly other options 
And I know that Jake Heaps brought up just on Twitter a moment ago some of those other options, Ryan Kerrigan, Justin Houston, Melvin Ingram. They could have brought any of those guys in, but there are injury slash are they washed concerns with all three of those players. And I would say in the case of Houston, too, he did sign with the Baltimore Ravens. Were you going to be able to out-recruit the Baltimore Ravens? And I, I, I just honestly ask that question because it does feel like Baltimore always is able to get those guys to come in to the building at the very last minute. The fair answer to that is to look at what happens at the end of the season and to see how each of those three players contribute. All three of them cost more money. Cost at least twice as much, I think, that as Alden Smith. Alden Smith was just over a million dollars. Right. I think. I think all three. Melvin Ingram. I, I think his deal was worth up to four million dollars. Houston's one, two. Kerrigan's two and a half million dollars. If one of those guys pops, and if if one of those guys has eight, nine sacks, then I think it'll be fair to look back and say, "Hey, Seattle should have. Seattle should have recruited that player harder. Seattle should have instead of giving a, a veteran minimum type." arrangement with Alden Smith should have should have stretched a little bit to get one of those veterans. I just refuse to go into the idea that it's not worth a chance on someone like Alden Smith, especially when you're dealing with the question of substance abuse because if someone does get that ironed out, their life can change immeasurably. True. I think it's I think it's silly as a as a team to count on that, but I'm not against giving the opportunity at all. If it were just that, I would agree with you, but there's also the domestic violence incident that he had during that same stretch in addition to whatever was taking place in New Orleans as well. And that's where you get into, I think, tricky waters as far as an organization. Public relations-wise, do you feel comfortable bringing in somebody who does have that on their record, regardless of whether it was something that involved alcohol or not? And if you read the reports of that domestic violence incident, it does sound like he was intoxicated during when it took place. I think it was in 2018. But at the same time, I, I mean... That's something that you have to grapple with as well, and I can understand why some people say, okay, well, you don't even give a guy a flyer like this because you're only going to end up getting burnt in the end if it doesn't work out and if there is another incident that takes place, which I'm guessing is what happened here. I'm not interested, and I would not use public relations as the the barometer for whether and who I give chances to. I would try to come up with a standard that's different than that, and maybe that's naive on my part. I don't have any problem with them signing Alden Smith and giving him an opportunity to 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 see if everything had been straightened out. And if it doesn't work out, I don't see that. And if something else happened, I don't see that as a condemnation and saying Seattle was wrong to give it the, this opportunity. They gave him a chance to perform, and he didn't take advantage of it. And that's too bad, but it's too bad for him. I don't feel that that reflects poorly on the organization. There are other questions about... When it comes to, I, I would say, Alden Smith, just about his football shape based off of last year. And those were more the questions that I had about him this offseason. Taking a flyer on a guy who was a first-round pick and considered just all-worldly talent when he was drafted, I understand that. But I thought it was weird that Dallas was so willing to move on from him considering how bad that defense was. It's Danny and Gallant. It is time for us to raise lower pickup flags. That's next. From the pocket, and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. 
flag on the play. All right, I'm down to 647 red texts. Sorting through them. That's Getting on top. You're of stressing everyone out, Danny. We go through 114 missed phone calls. Goodness gracious. Yeah. It doesn't bother you, the push notifications? That doesn't. Nah. I just ignore them. Isn't that what it's for? It's like when people leave me a voicemail. Why are you leaving me a voicemail? I saw you called. If I want to talk to you, I'll call you back. I have two unread messages. I have I have three missed phone calls, all from Florida numbers. So I'm guessing I um my auto insurance has expired and they need my social security number. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of that stuff happening too. Why in the world am I gonna answer my phone? Lock I'm gonna start everybody. I- I'm going to start by raising a flag to the University of Nebraska. I don't know if anybody saw these uniforms that were on Twitter oh, last night. You, you, you stop. You're going you're gonna to raise a flag to these monstrosities? I, I don't know if it's a joke. I hope it is. Being played on people or if it's a joke being played on the players. But Nebraska introduced a picture of what they called their little red uniforms. Now, if you're familiar with the corn-fed, corn-fed uh, mascot, Little Red, he's wearing he's wearing overalls. He's wearing red overalls, the big hat, looking like a, a very happy farm worker. The team has introduced and, and showed, modeled their white jerseys that have red overall appeared lines on them. Oh so it looks like they're wearing red overalls over a white T-shirt. It's not. They don't have the buckles and everything. It's just the. It's just like a cartoon. It's like the imprint of what you would expect overalls to look like. And everybody's like, "Oh my god! All the Nebraska players are going to transfer." I can't tell if they're just creating ugly uniforms to make people laugh, and then they're going to say, "Just kidding! We would never wear something." Or if they're really like, "Heck yeah! We're going to get out there and these want to be overalls." Either way, it's awesome. No, they're not. Be different. Do something funny. Maybe it'll be something that the players take pride in. You're Nebraska. You have history. Even if that history is far removed from you, you're one of the most iconic college football programs that there is. And you're going to disgrace your program when you have a classic look that's one of the better looks, I think, in college football with that garbage. You're going to have overalls, red overalls. What are you, a hipster? That is an awful look. I think they should be embarrassed, and they're going to lose by 100 points whenever they wear these. There's no chance. They've already lost the game. Whoever they're playing, they are losing immediately. I have never been a Nebraska fan. Like, I've never never really liked Big 12. Big 8. Southwest Conference. Like I've never, I've never really liked those. Well, they're not. But they're not e- Southwest. They're Big Eight. But I, 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 I right. But that that whole like I've yeah. never been into Texas TCU. Like I, I generally, I gotcha. generally that region of the country. I really don't like the SEC, but that has to do with ego. I never liked wishbone style offenses when Nebraska. But even in that, I always generally liked Oklahoma a little bit more than Nebraska. Oh, ew, no, no. Switzer, Switzer was at least interesting. Switzer was had some personality. Tom Osborne was just super boring. This is the first thing Nebraska's done That's that fair. I like. I, this is the first thing <laughs> Nebraska's on, done that I kind of like, where I was like, they might troll everybody. Like, what if they win in those things? Like, we just kicked your butt in the ugliest uniform possible. We just beat you with our coach, Scott Frost, 
in uniforms that were made that were made specifically to engender mocking. I love it. The black shirt uniforms that Nebraska has are good. It's pretty good. Those are pretty good. This has to be fake. Right? It's on the internet. Do you, do you think it's fake? I'm hoping it's fake. I'm hoping for, for Nebraska's sake that it is fake. Either way, it's funny. And I know that most people are saying it's fake. If it doesn't turn out to be fake and they are actually going to wear them, I'm into it. <laughs> I hope not. You do you. They're They're so like, bad. All, all these schools come up with these terrible uniforms all the time. At least this one's got some humor to it. It's red overalls. No. We made or, or, uniforms to look like they're red overalls. That's hilarious. I'm, I'm praying that it is fake. And I'm like looking up right now. Nebraska uniforms fake. Please be fake. Please be fake. For the sake of Nebraska and all fake, things corn. It's blown up so much now they might roll with it. Yeah. No. What was funny is the first time the Seahawks wore their nuclear cabbage, the neon green uniforms, it was in 2009 for what is known as the Olindo Mare game. And it started out, a fan like drew them up using like paint box or something like that as as a joke of like these are so ugly and you would never you would you would never want to actually wear these and it turned out to be too close to the reality of what they planned and they're like oh somebody leaked our uniforms who leaked the uniforms and nobody leaked them somebody came up with a joke that turned out to be very close to reality yeah, yeah. paul what do you got for a flag the mariners that was awful the end <laughs> i mean come on guys offensively when the texas rangers are legitimately puking ball after ball after ball you gotta do something the bases were loaded with no outs and the game was tied just don't even swing just continue to take pitches it felt like danny they were just leaving that poor guy george Patton. i think that's his name on the mound to die you're gonna rot you're going to die, and we're going to move on to the next game so that we have all of our bullpen arms. And instead, they can't get one run. And then, then, the very next inning, you lose. I, I felt like three and a half hours of my life, Danny, were wasted. And I know that it's one of 162 games and that, you know, it's just one. But this one, more than any other I can remember this year, legitimately had me angry after the fact. I threw a remote. I yelled, and I don't even know why I am because they're out of the playoff race at this point. Timeout. It, it looks like the Nebraska uniform is fake. Good, good, because they're wearing those against Oklahoma. Imagine wearing those against Oklahoma. Let's reignite the rivalry with Oklahoma. You're going to lose 200 to nothing. All right, Maura, what do you got? You're batting cleanup today. All right, I am going to raise a flag for Saint Safety CJ Gardner Johnson. You might remember him as the guy that always gets always gets angry punched to punch yeah. him. Yeah, like his own teammate Michael Thomas, and then I think two separate Bears players punched him yes. last year. Everyone wants to know, like, what are you doing to get under their skin? And when he was asked about it at his press conference the other day, he gave a very simple answer: I don't like people. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. I'm raising a flag for Gardner Johnson. That's that could that's that's Dave Wyman's motto in life. I don't like people. <laughs> you want that in a safety, right? Yes. Yeah. I don't like people. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, that's going to do it for us. I want to thank Rasheem Green, uh, Michael Bumpus, who was with us, the professor John Clayton, Maura Dooley, who found that gem. 
This should be the a, a motto going forward. And he is Paul Gallant, and he will answer each and every text message. And he is Danny O'Neill. And what is wrong with you, man? Like a lot. Five hundred? No, six forty-seven. Oh my god! It's down from seven hundred one. Right. Are you gonna hire a, a, a phone maid? Now nah, I'll see if I can get it cleaned up by tomorrow. <laughs> he is Danny O'Neill, and hopefully he'll be down to 459 unread messages by tomorrow. So long, farewell, up next. At what point are you going to be nervous about? One, Jamal Adams' absence from training camp. Two, Dwayne Brown's absence from training camp. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more next.